I think it's super important for us to ask God to give us discernment um, and give us the ability to just keep at the forefront of our mind that it really is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So if we never recognize the spiritual aspects of what's going on behind this, the spiritual aspects that are driving racism, the spiritual aspects that are driving violence, um, the strongholds, the demonic influence, if we never take the time to acknowledge that, then we, we get caught up in praying against people instead of praying against the powers that are driving people. What is going on Unseen? It is awesome to have you guys back with us for another episode. My name is Jawanta Fanellis. Um, I am one of the leaders of the Unseen Collective, where we um, just major in having uncomfortable conversations, bringing people into perspectives about tense discussions in the body, or just tense discussions in the world, and bringing the Holy Spirit's perspective into it. Um, that's just what we're about. So. I'm really glad to have you guys a part of this conversation. If you are joining us, you are either seeking to do the same or you're already doing the same. So we salute you, congratulate you, and thank you for joining us. On here with us, we have ah my fondly called mother, my spiritual mother, um, Tiffany Sainville. Um, there's many things I can say about her. Um, the soul sniper, um, the, the mother of many, the raisers of warriors. Uh, I... I I could go on for a while, but I will let her introduce herself in a second. Um, but yeah, we are going to get into a, a topic that I'll introduce after Tiffany introduces herself. Well, welcome. Thank you guys again for joining us in our uncomfortable conversations. I am Tiffany Sainville, um, bit of a ministry busybody, but really my heart is just to do whatever the Lord wants from me in whatever moment it is. So right now, it's to have this conversation. So let's just see where the Lord takes it. Yes, uh, let's see indeed. <laughs> we are already <laughs> very much so. I'm just coming in this convo with some weight because uh, we want to get into possibly two discussions, um, depending on how this conversation goes, um, that have that have definitely pierced through um, like major media outlets, social media for sure. And the one we want to start with is what's been called, I think, accurately. And there's many names for it, but what most, I think, accurate title for it is the Montgomery Brawl. <sighs> so I believe this was August 5th um, in Montgomery, Alabama, um, by this, like, pier um, where there are, like, a bunch of boats docked. There was um, one specific boat that was parked somewhere that it shouldn't have been was actually parked in one of the spots that belonged to one of the city vehicles, the city boats. And um, in the process of them, like, making announcements and saying, hey, whoever's parked here, you got to move your boat kind of thing. No one moved it. Um, one of the captains of that ship um, went and, who was black, went to move the boat. And when he comes back on to the pier, um, or I, I'm not a, I'm not a boat person, so I'm probably jacking this up. I think you are more than me, Mama. So if I'm messing any of this up, please edit me afterwards. Um, when he comes, when he goes back to the land, <laughs> um, there are a bunch of people who own the boat, who are who are friends of the person who owns the boat, who are white, who are surrounding him. Tense conversations, 
lead to uh, high arguments, which leads to fights. And they start, uh, which is, it's like at that point, it's, it's somewhere somewhere like eight to one or 10 to one, somewhere around there, um, of just like people beating on this dude who was just doing his job. Um, and um, eventually as that fight continues, um, other people, uh, other white people jump in and then it turns into this like giant racial hurricane. Um, there are some black individuals who are there who jump in. There's a boat that ends up docking and um, a bunch of the people who are on there jump off the boat um, and start um, jumping into the fight. And at this point, it's very literally black and white. It's white versus black. Men, women, all all over the place. And um, <sighs> my heart breaks telling this story because uh, of how it unfolded on social media afterwards. It turned into this like, yeah, you know, black people got to stand up for, for their own. I'm glad he was, I'm glad the black people were there to fight you know, and do all these things. They fought with the, oh, I saw a lot was, I, they fought with the strength of their ancestors, um, which led to a lot of just diver, divisive conversation, of course. It's the same with me. I live in a very urban area. So a lot of the people that I heard were just like, yeah, they did what they had to do. Um, they stood up, they fought, they did, they, they defended themselves. And, um, yeah, there's so much to unpack here because a lot of my heart is like, man, if I was there, my flesh, my impulse would have been to jump into that too. My dude is getting beat up, um, with, with no purpose, no reason. Right. So I'm not here just saying like, oh, they're all wrong and everybody here is wrong and you know, they should have just turned the other cheek. Um, my temptation, I was talking to Sandy about this, my wife, when we first, when I came back home, we were talking about it, like my immediate response in that situation would have probably been to jump in as well. Um, but the, the conversation that we want to start having here is, um, what is, what do we do with this content in light of, a, of us living in a broken world, but us being called to be more, to be holy, to be different, to be love, to be light. Um, how are we called to engage with this situation that, in my opinion, has now become one of the very images of where we are in our as a, as a, as a, as a thermometer racially in America? It's like, oh yeah, like well, you, this is what we have to do now. Black people have to physically stand up and fight against each other against white oppression. When there's white oppression, we have to make sure we jump in, kill it. Um, how do we begin discussions on? So, Mama, please jump in, edit anything that was off or any of my boat fishing, uh, docking <laughs> words that were off. Please add your. No, your terminology was your terminology was good. Um, one of the articles that I read about it said, uh, or it made mention of a 16-year-old white young man who worked on the same boat as the co-captain who essentially got jumped and he tried to help him and got punched in the chest uh, and pushed back. Uh, so I do also want to make mention of him mm -hmm. because he was trying to help. Yeah. He was trying to do the right thing. Um, and even the interviewers are saying that when they interviewed the co-captain, he was saying it wasn't a racially motivated attack in his opinion. They were just angry 
because they were being told to move and felt entitled to be there, so on and so forth. But from the outside looking in, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's going to raise that question and it's going to ha it's going to force us to have that conversation of, well, even if it wasn't on the surface level racially motivated, what was in their heart when they were attacking another human being? What gets you to that place to say, it's okay for me to physically harm this person to get out my own frustration in this moment? Right. Um, and how much of that has to do with the fact that he's a Black man? And traditionally, and the way things have been in society is cops are less likely to get involved in that. Cops are less likely to uh, protect the man who's being attacked there and possibly even see him as the threat, which is crazy, you know, and obviously not making the statement that that's what it is, that that's how cops really are, so on and so forth. But these, these are the things that will go through someone's head in that moment um, or that could go through someone's head in that moment. Yeah. And like you were saying, I was wondering for myself, if I were there, how would I have responded? Um, Obviously, I would have called the authorities. Never in my life have I physically thrown hands. <laughs> however, however, um, there are situations that even with all of the Jesus in me, I don't know that I could stop myself. If I saw right. someone harming a child, um, if I saw a group assault like this, I think my flesh would want to react, which is why it's so important that we do root ourselves in the word and consistently remind ourselves that we do not battle against flesh and blood. So even in that type of tenuous situation, prayer has to be the starting point and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. There's no way I'm going to stand back and watch it happen. But I don't think I'm throwing hands. I think I'm trying to pull people off of people. You see what I'm saying? 100%. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's it's really hard not to let it get to the place of okay so if those were if that was one white man being attacked by a group of black people how different would the response have been right would guns have been drawn by the officers when they arrived um it, unanswerable questions because you never know you can only speculate but unfortunately again just from the outside looking in, having not been present, it does raise all of these questions, especially with it being in Montgomery, which has such a deep historical background when it comes to racial issues, racial tension, civil rights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah um, the One of the biggest things that came out of that was that actual pier used to be um, a place where slave ships would come in dock to trade slaves and then there was a um, factory right next to it that would hold the slaves until they were traded um, so looking at it historically and spiritually um, it's hard to ignore those things and say because I, I I did hear a lot of that like people who are coming from the other sense it's like oh well it was just a very charged incident and people turned it racial or it was a semi-racial thing that people are making explode into something else, which I disagree with. If you don't see that, in my opinion, as 
a thermometer for where we are racially in America. I think you're just you're missing something. Um, but um, I think there's also layers under that that we need to look at when it comes to what what happens on the soil of places where very violent acts mm-hmm. happen. What's the spiritual history there that matters because the world is spiritual first? What spiritual things are happening in the lands that we're living in that haven't been cleansed, that haven't been prayed through, that haven't been repented of, um, that end up impacting people's psyche? Like when someone who wouldn't act a certain way ends up going to a certain place and acting differently, I think that has to do with the spiritual history of a certain place. Um, I was talking with my coworkers not too long ago, and I was talking to her about that same nature, like the world is spiritual first. Um, because it's, it's a long story, but I was letting her know, like, if if something happened in a certain area over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, um, and it was never addressed, it was never talked about, and it resurfaces somehow in the future, how, how is there not a connection? Then? Um, now we're speaking kind of like, you know, spiritual, mystical, but um, there's, we have evidence that when um, there's not a chain, when there's not a broken chain, that sins are revisited and that um, certain lands have a way of carrying the ghost of its past. So um, that for me creates like even more tension with it because the, the world has a veil over its eyes, right? So coming in and having that mentality isn't a way you approach the world about this, but um, like I, my, my deep earnest prayer is that there are believers in that area who can do prayer walks around that beach or that, oh, here I am messing it up again, <laughs> who can do prayer walks around that area, <laughs> around that pier, and I can help people um, navigate it spiritually from a spiritual sense because that's stuff like that from what many, like you said in the interviews, many people have claimed this is not new to this area, like violent acts, violent racial acts, um, ten- racial tension, things like that happen all around that Montgomery area and definitely Alabama. Um, but man, if we can have believers penetrate these areas when certain things like that happen, take a stand spiritually and pray f- and pray through areas so there's like a, a healing over it. <sighs> I think that makes a difference. I definitely agree. Um, and I, w- I was trying to think before. So what about this particular incident or who in this particular incident would we see as an unseen? Mm-hmm. And why is the response to it what it's been? Because unfortunately, as the world often does, is it's taken this situation and it's kind of made it a joke. Right. Um, as I was sharing with you before we started recording, I found out about it initially through social media jokes and memes being put out about folding chairs. Um, And it's just like the enemy, right? To take something and make it laughable so that we celebrate sin. I want to pause. We celebrate the spiritual darkness. Can you explain Mm -hmm. the chair thing? And then we'll pick back up on the enemy twisting matters, making it dark. Why, what happened with the chair? In the midst of the brawl, um, a black man came over with a folding chair and used it to assault <laughs> the white people to try to, I just, to, I guess, try to get them to stop. But really all it did was perpetuate the violence and perpetuate the issue 
at hand. Um, but it became kind of a symbol, I would say, within the Black community of, yeah, we'll we'll throw chairs for one another. Mm-hmm. That's how hard we go for each other. Yeah. We're, we're going to stand up for each other and we're not going to let this keep happening. So, yeah, it it became a joke. So the enemy has turned it into something almost laughable when, in reality, these are image bearers assaulting other image bearers and none of them seeing each other as children of God. Do any of them have any relationship with God? I don't know. Um, I I would pray that they're not out there <laughs> representing the Lord that way, <laughs> but but we don't know. They've heard they've probably heard about Jesus in some way, shape or form um, throughout the course of their life. But what, what are we as believers doing about it? Are we sharing memes about folding chairs or are we putting to prayer the fact that these image bearers had no issue bearing violence against one another? Mm-hmm. And because our, our response to the situation matters. Yeah, that, that's huge. That's huge. Um, and I, there's a lot of people, um, I shouldn't say a lot, there's like two or three people I can name off the top of my head who I spoke to who responded in a way that surprised me. Um, who responded like, yep, folding chairs up kind of thing, you know, like, let's roll. Again, I repeat what I said earlier. I would have been very conflicted if I was there. And to unpack that a bit, I... Um, anything that I that that I interpret, let me say it that way. Anything that I interpret as racially charged is a trigger for me. Um, I also have a very violent past, so um, being in that situation, I could see myself going a specific way um, to try to protect someone who I thought was being a victim of racial violence. Um, now, with that with that being said, um, I know our response being removed from it um, and, you know, not being kind of in the thick of all the, all the weeds of what happened shouldn't be as flippant as I've heard some believers, like some believers that I respect uh, have been. Um, just, I think there's something to be said to say like racism is still very much so alive and um, that shouldn't be ignored. And we have to do what we can in our conversation and our life to undo that. But, that doesn't mean that we need to arm ourselves violently. That doesn't mean that we need to agree with something, even if in our own minds, in our flesh, we could say that was justified. Because I think in my flesh, I could say everyone coming to that man's aid, fighting, throwing chairs, aside from him, that woman, that was, that was reckless. He, he got arrested for it. Hitting that one dude who was throwing the chairs, hit a woman at the end, like he was just going crazy and hit a woman. And that's when one of the cops arrested him. Um, that was, I couldn't justify that. But aside from that, like being in a world that right now is a hotbed and so easily, we're so easily prepared to spew out venom. I think we need people who respond in love to your point. We need people who respond um, with a sense of centeredness, even if we're dismissed, because in a lot of these conversations, when I did say something along those lines, I was dismissed. Uh, I was thought, oh, you're just like that, whatever that Jesus dude stay old, but we need to at least be seen as that before we're seen as lumped in with everyone else's thoughts that are only seeing people 
as violent and and seeing not seeing people as uh, image bearers of God. For you, Mama, as we move forward into um, like as we've passed this as we're recording this, we're almost a month separated from the instance. Um, though believers, you might have believers who might not have been there, who might not have even heard of this until this podcast episode. Um, where, what is our call um, as we pray, as we stand up and, dig- and diligently stand against injustice where we see it? Um, what is our call uh, as we see sm- things like this that seem to only intensify uh, day after day, week after week, or instance after, whenever we hear about a new instance, it seems to only get more intense. Um, what, how do we become, how do we remain as salt and light in this, in this era? I think it's super important for us to ask God to give us discernment um, mm. and give us the ability to just keep at the forefront of our mind that it really is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So if we never recognize the spiritual aspects of what's going on behind this, the spiritual aspects that are driving racism, the spiritual aspects that are driving violence, the spiritual Um, the strongholds, the demonic influence, if we never take the time to acknowledge that, then we, we get caught up in praying against people instead Mm -hmm. of paying again, praying against the powers that are driving people to behave in such hateful ways. Um, We have to remember that our enemy is the enemy. It's not people. So for that, we're, we're deeply called one to self-reflect because if I carry bias and prejudice with me, I can't pray with purity for people. Mm. And I'm also super biased when I see things. Much like you, I am very, very triggered by anything that seems any bit of racially motivated. Uh, so it's very hard for me uh, to make it my initial reaction to stop and pray and say, Lord, help release them from whatever demonic influence they have that has led them to be here. Because my, my first response is usually hurt and anger um, and frustration. So I have to retrain myself to yield all of that to the full recognition that it's really not the person, it's the spirit behind mm that I have to go to war with. Um, So again, just recognizing those things within myself so that I can pray from a pure heart because warfare is our call. Mm -hmm. That would be the second thing, spiritual warfare. That that is certainly our call. Mm -hmm. And the enemy knows our weaknesses and he will do his best to use them to pull our feet out from under us so that we don't have a leg to stand on. Um, when we go into warfare unequipped, which is why it's so important to put on the full armor every day to make sure that we're fully pressed into who the Holy Spirit is in us and we're not trying to do it on our own Um, because the Lord sends out his warring angels. He does all of the work. We just get to stand in truth and truth does not always match our perception. Mm -hmm. So we need to be diligent with how we prepare and how we enter into warfare, I would say. 
Mm. No, that's really good. That's really good. Um, I, I, it, like you said, I would love to become a person um, that's more um, quickly to respond with listening, with love, and not with my um, triggers. So I'm, I, I'm definitely walking away with that. I appreciate you saying that. Um, you said something that makes me want to transition to our second story. Um, the reminder that we don't fight against flesh and blood, that people aren't our enemy. We have one enemy. Um, but that's really difficult in the next story that we're going to mention. But yes, but um, I think it's it's a good hinge to go into the story with because it's it's it should be what we drive the story with that people aren't our enemy. Um, so this one is a lot more recent. This happened four days ago from the time we recorded this um, podcast. I believe if my math is right, I think that was the twenty sixth. So um, in Jacksonville, Florida, um, to make, uh, there's a lot of details with the story that we'll probably get into, uh, but to make a very um, tragically detailed story short, long story, tragically detailed, tragically long detailed story short, um, uh, there was a gentleman, which baffles me as well, but how young um, these people have been, they used 21, um, who... Yeah specifically went to a, a Dollar General in Jacksonville um, to carry out hate, hateful and murderous acts against Black people. Um, he succeeded with three people, killed three people. A mother who was outside of the store as an Uber driver, a worker of Dollar General, and a father of a four-year-old who was um, in the store. <sighs> And this is very reminiscent of what happened in Buffalo, even of Dylan Roof, what happened um, years ago. I think that was 2014, 15, around there. Um, and in the church, and when someone goes somewhere with the intent to murder Black people, the intent to carry out a racially charged murder. Um, again, one, leading, like we said, that was central to this is people are in our enemy, but two, in the midst of a lot of pain, um, in the midst of a lot of people who are just up in arms and saying, "This here we go again." You know, there's not been any much change. There hasn't been much difference. We still have people out there who are intentionally trying to put people of color in harm. I don't feel safe. I don't. My kid. I don't feel comfortable putting my kids in certain places because the story is he went to a nearby campus that was uh, majority black um, and another store before he ended up going to this Dollar General. So it's was like, this could have been a lot of different people's story um, of losing a, losing a family member or having a family member in the hospital or just having a family member there five minutes ago, which has its own level of tra trauma to it. Um, I keep tennis balling this over to you, which is probably a little unfair. Um, but where is your heart with all of this? How have you been processing this? And um, uh, anything that you want to give as your take? I'm having a hard time processing it. I very typically have a very difficult time processing any sort of mass murder, um, any sort of murder, really. But in particular, mass murders that are 
targeting any specific population. So children, people of color, um, people in the LGBTQ community, anything that's driven by hatred, I struggle with. Um, so this reading about this, uh, I was, I was just like, really God, why, why does it feel like we just keep going back? We just keep going back. Um, but I'm reminded that there are still spiritual elements at work. There's still deep demonic influence. Um, there's the enemy hates the children of God. Mm-hmm. And one of the tools that he has right now in his tool belt that has been around for years and is still very present is racism. So here, the enemy has exploited the ignorance of this young man, um, his own mental and emotional health. Um, I I don't want to paint him as a victim. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to use the excuse of mental health issues. Uh, Some of the articles that I read said very specifically that he was completely lucid. He was completely aware of what he was doing uh, based on his previous writings, his manifestos, everything being this just deep hatred that he had for Black people. However, because there are spiritual elements at play, we have to be very intentional about keeping that in mind. Mm -hmm. There has to be a mental aspect when someone takes their own life Mm -hmm. because he, he did what he set out to do. Right. So if you, if you want to track with that thought process, his goal was to kill black people. He succeeded and still was so unfulfilled, so broken Mm -hmm. that he took his own life instead of seeing it as a win. Right. So for me, that's, that's abundantly clear that is nothing but the enemy's hand because only the enemy's hand is would cause you to take your own life. There's, there's nothing else. So I'm trying to process very prayerfully Mm -hmm. because I don't want to fall into anger, resentment, and fear, especially because, you know, my, my daughter's getting ready to go to kindergarten and this is going to be her first time really not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. That's hard. And I worry. But I know that God has God has to protect her. Yeah. He has to. It's his job. It's his responsibility, not mine. And that's something that he's told me continuously. There are children to steward, but they're his responsibility to take care of. Um so it's just, it's heartbreaking, it's devastating, and the enemy's goal is to incite more fear, more anger, more resentment, to continue to build this bitterness and angry tension between races, because anything that looks like unity would honor God, mm-hmm. and he's not here for that. So we, I'm trying to be intentional in remembering what's really going on instead of just looking at the results of it and allowing that to consume me. Mm. You know, that's real. And um, I'm really glad that you said a lot of things that you said, because for me, though, like, 
I know me and you haven't sat down and had this conversation before this, but for me, this is the first time I'm hearing this incident spoken of in a biblical sense. I know there's many people who either listen to this or it'll be their first time hearing of the the situation or first time like it is for me hearing it with a biblical worldview where it's 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 like water on a very dry day um, in light of the pain that you can constantly read about, the news that can constantly take the energy out of you um, and the hopelessness that seems to be everywhere you can find it. Um, it's It's important to look at this from a biblical perspective and to see the enemy's hand at work. Uh, because when you can put it in the proper perspective, you don't fight a lot of aimless battles, um, which is one of the reasons why I just personally, you mentioned it too, I'm not, I'm not on social media. Um, I just don't, I'm not interested in engaging these topics on a place where I don't believe there can be a lot of good conversation around it. I um, mean, for us to, to talk about it from a humanistic point of view, like you said, not victimizing um, the, the, the dude who went, who went about carrying out the situation of the murders, but um, to humanize him and to say there's these factors involved um, and he was used as a tool of the enemy is super important to see from a kingdom perspective because when you lose sight of any kingdom perspective, you get pulled into carnality and you lose the vantage point of seeing where's God in this, which I know me and you can both say the same. There's been many friends, many people who, are, who have left Jesus at least have left an intimacy with Jesus, especially since 2016, 2020, when there was explosions of racial tension, or just any a lot of social, political tension. Um, people have just left Jesus because these conversations aren't happening. We, there's not people to sit down and just say, this is a tragedy. We have to look at this um, the way that Jesus looks at this. We have to look at this from objective, the most objective lens that we can. So for me, um, hearing you say what you said is very refreshing. And um, I know just thinking about a father, who I read one of the articles that was just talking about how excited he was to um, go to a dance, like a father-daughter dance that was happening at the school in February. And how the mother now, at a loss for words, can't explain why the father is no longer coming home. Um, there is, yeah, there is, um, there is comfort that only the Holy Spirit can provide that we as believers need to have, be equipped with for not only when this comes to our front door, but even when these conversations come to our front door, which is far more likely to happen. People who are brokenhearted or just numb from the world and tired of just hearing about these difficult situations like I was when I fell into a depression in 2020. I just, I said, just, I can't hear about anything else. If I hear about one more thing, I don't know what I'm going to do myself. I don't know what I'm going to do in general. When I got to that place, um, I just was tired of feeling. And I think I got tired of feeling because I didn't introduce that kingdom perspective enough into these conversations. So if you're in that population listening to this podcast, um, we hope that you take heart and knowing that there is always um, comfort in the Lord, in the Lord's command in the Lord's arms. That's all. That's, that's the best, most simple in ways I, I could define that. There's pain everywhere you can find it, but there's always comfort in his arms. So for me, um, 
yeah, I, I really hope this conversation brings people some insight. Um, though it comes with sorrow, there is there is um, levels to sorrow, and I hope that it's sorrow that really really can help pe bring people to a place of deeper compassion for people um, and help people navigate these conversations if and when it comes up at your workplace, in your household, with your kids, um, to help people navigate the deep sorrow that will happen and does happen in this world. Um, but that the, the hope that we have attached to it. Yeah. I think as the church, we have a lot of praying to do that many of us just don't think about on a daily basis. Um, we tend to pray for our immediate needs and our immediate asks. But there's got to be something deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, scripture says that if we would repent, then he'll heal our land. And I, I fully believe that that's also our call in the midst of this. We didn't set out and we didn't commit these heinous acts. We didn't take life from someone else. Uh, we weren't consumed by hatred in that way. But we can still repent on his behalf. We can pray for his parents mm -hmm. and what they must be going through. Mm -hmm having all of this exposed within their son who knows what their viewpoints are you know I, we don't know if that's something that he was taught or if that's something he just picked up um along the way from somewhere else we don't know right. but we also know that they lost a son mm -hmm. and if anyone knows that pain it's god mm. so now they mm. they have to grieve while also coming to terms with what their son has done, while also being looked at as the perpetuators of his lifestyle and of his choices, yeah, yeah. Um, they've got crosses to bear. So as the church, as believers, if we are to greet them with love, that has to start with prayer. We may never meet them. I don't think I'll ever meet them. Um, but I need to pray for them and I need to pray for them diligently and everyone else who has been touched and affected by the situation. Very often we, we find that we're praying for the families of the victims and they absolutely need prayer, but so does his family. Mm -hmm. um, so does every black person who's now afraid to go and work at Dollar General right. or go shopping because these places keep getting targeted. Um, that college campus, the spirit of fear that's going to try to consume that college campus because he was there just minutes before arming himself and getting himself geared up. So we've we've got lots of prayer that we can be on assignment with. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we if we dive into that, it'll put us again in a place of going into warfare while processing our grief. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. I think it's super important that as believers, we understand it's it's okay to not be okay. And we have to grieve so that we don't fall into the depression like what you were stating earlier. Um, that was such a rough time. I don't know. I don't think I know anyone who didn't struggle with the very public murder of George Floyd um, and all of the aftermath that it brought, it touched 
everyone in different ways. Right. Some people it touched and it hardened their heart a little more. Some mm-hmm. people it made their heart more tender. Some people it drew to a place of desiring to numb, like you talked about. And that's kind of where I was. That's why I was like, mm, yeah, I can't keep doing this news thing. It's not it's not good for my mental, mental or emotional health. Mm-hmm. And it's not. But also I need to pray. And I need to know how to pray. So it's just, it's, it's rough, man. Mm-hmm. It's so rough. It's so rough. But if we're to be intentional about seeing the unseen, then we need to be intentional about seeing people like his family as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many dynamics that I think zeroing in on what is unseen um, need to be prayed for. And um, we already agreed that we want to end this podcast with prayer just because of the weight of it. Um, But we also want to do um, a good amount of acknowledgement um, for the people who could be listening to this and have been just very triggered throughout the conversation um, or have just been super enlightened and had no kind of compass for where to go. Um, We're always, 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 always open for further conversation on this. And um, we know that this will not be the only time that me and uh, Tiffany already spoke and said, this is going to be the first of many conversations because there's um, a lot of, things to dialogue and bring Jesus' light to in a very broken world. And um, it could be very triggering and very heartbreaking, um, very fear-evoking. Because if I lived in, like you were mentioning, if I lived anywhere next to where that happened, um, I would be looking at opportunities to move in my my heart. My first, some of the first things my heart would be wanting to do is, where can I move to? Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who are from where we're from in Jersey or North have a lot of thoughts about the South. Um, and that's fear too, right? There's a lot of um, this peer paralysis that stops us from being more united um, as, as, as in ethnicity and in, in, in the body. Um, and I think moving forward, what I want to make sure I do a better job of is living as free as Jesus has made me to be um, and not being controlled by my triggers, not being controlled by my my past, um, the past things that I've seen and not being at all shook of the world and what the enemy has done and, and who the enemy has used as a tool in the world. I want to be a lot better about living free and free indeed um, so that when Jesus calls me to be a light in a certain situation because someone else isn't free, they could taste the freedom that he has and not find just another person who calls Jesus' name but still is bound you know, and in in their heart. <clears throat> so um, would you mind praying, Mama, for um, the details around the first topic we spoke about in Montgomery? And um, I shall close us out praying for um, the situation in Jacksonville. Absolutely. Oh, Lord God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are 100% in control of all of the things, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would heal Montgomery, Alabama. I pray that you would touch those waters, that you would touch that land and heal it with your precious blood, Lord God.
Father, I pray for this entire situation, this brawl that has broken out, Lord. I pray that you would allow it to be a turning point and a rising up of the saints to call out for your hand, Lord God, for your mighty hand to come against racism and racially charged tensions, Lord God. I pray, Father, that every person who was involved in that situation would come to know you. I pray that they would come to know your love, your truth, your joy, that you would open their eyes to see other people as image bearers of Christ, Father God, and that they would learn to love and respect one another with the dignity that you have placed within us from birth, Lord God, the thing, the very things that we deserve. I pray, Father, that you would build in them a desire to even advocate for nonviolence yeah. because it's so easy to just think, oh, well, this is who they are. This is how it's going to be. But God, we know that you can change any heart. We know that you can change any situation. And we know that what the enemy means for evil, you can turn for good and for your glory. So Lord, I am asking that your glory would be seen in this situation. For those of us who are kind of processing that drama and trauma, Lord, I pray for the divine guidance of the Holy Spirit to lead us through. I pray that we would not see through natural eyes, but that we would see through supernatural eyes. And I pray, Father, against um, any inclination that we would help push along the uh, the enemy's agenda mm-hmm. by making it a joke or making it a laughing stock. Yeah. Father, we want to see your glory. And in order to do that, we we have to be yielded to you. So Lord, heal our hearts and give us divine focus so we know exactly what to do, where to go, how to pray, and how to gird ourselves up and prepare to stand as you go to war on our behalf. In Jesus' name. Yeah, Lord, and I just um, agree with everything that Tiffany just said. I'm thankful that um, you are building up an army um, of people who have been through many um, situations and have seen many of these injustices that break your heart, um, but also that are um, are going to be equipped with your spirit to engage um, boldly. And that's what I pray for those of you, for any of your believers in your, your saints in Jacksonville, Florida, Lord. I pray you would rally your your, your troops over there, Lord. You rally the church to stand up, to, to both give of their time, to give of their resources, and to give of their spirit of, of their of their spirit equity, Lord, towards this situation. I pray that there would there'd be um prayers and fasts to break any bonds that might have been created with the spirit of fear, any anxiety. Um I pray I pray against any 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 level of timidity from anyone in the church who might be being impacted by what happened. I pray that they would grow bold um, and bold enough to be courageous and compassionate. Uh, to to step into the situation, speak up and speak out, to advocate um, for your love, to advocate for your truth, and not for the victimization or the the verification of anything that is not of you. Um, but just speak to speak of what what Jesus speaks of, how Jesus would address this, and what Jesus says when it comes to tragedy, when it comes to loss of lives, and the treasure, the treasuring of of people, and how you comfort those who mourn. I pray that your biblical truth mm-hmm. would 
fourth point in the season in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, there would be such a unity that's never been seen cross-ethnic, cross-ethnicities, cross-churches that maybe have never even spoken before. May they put differences aside. May they put the logical differences aside to unite. But there's just such a need. There's so much brokenness. There's so many people who've lost. Yeah. Uh, may they step in and um, do what you do, Lord God, best. Um, step in and fill the gaps um, through the through spirit-empowered work, through spirit-empowered effort, through creativity as well to find ways to reach those um, who might have been impacted by this. And um, man, may, may there be just touch of your Holy Spirit empowerment with them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mama, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time on this. This was um, a labor of love for sure. Yes, and thank you for being bold enough to just take it head on. Uh, super necessary super super duper necessary we pray um, that this was helpful for anybody um, again we would love to speak engage more on this if if anyone just feels that their heart is hurting but there's nowhere to go nowhere to talk about reach out through email reach out through instagram um, we'd love to connect i hope you guys have a really blessed rest of your day talk to you soon